thank you. My name is Janet. I have been a member of Eleanor since 1969. And um, would you say hi, Janet? Hi. Thank you. That always feels better. Is there anyone in here who's never heard an Eleanor speaker before? Oh, goody, I'm so glad you're here. I hope I won't hurt you too bad. So, <laughs> Oh, wow, this is, this is great. Um, I think I'm going to start out as, you know, Eleanor in Pittsburgh is 45 years old. And uh, if any of you heard Jack speak last night, I told you we're married 45 years. And it didn't dawn on me until um, I was in Eleanor that probably what I should have done was gotten married, left everybody go down the street to the party, and I should have went down the other way and went to the Eleanor meeting. Because that's really what I needed to do. Jack and I got married really young. I don't remember too much of a life before him. Um, we met when we were 14 years old. So we didn't have too much before that. What I do remember is when I was growing up and I was young, um, my uh, parents never, ever, were affectionate. They never put their arms around me. They never told me they loved me. So I didn't have that. And I didn't really find it necessary. I just didn't have it. That's the way it was. And I knew my parents loved me. I had one brother that was younger than myself. When I met Jack, he, um, he liked that affection stuff. And he liked to hug and touch and, you know. And so uh, I learned what that was really for the first time. And I kinda I kinda liked it when he was a good boy. I liked it. But later on you'll find out that I hated it. And don't touch me anymore. You know. Um so when we started out, you know, um this was like really wonderful. Because he loved me and I loved him and we were gonna go off into the sunset. And I really wanted to marry him more because, you see, the first time I met him, I knew he needed me. Now, he was actually too young to drink yet. But when I looked at him, I could see that his pants weren't pressed. And his mother did not take care of him properly. And so I had to do that for him someday. Not only that, but he had a working mother. And in the 50s, you don't have a mother that works. That's not right. He had to get up by himself to go to school in the morning with the alarm clock. So I wanted to do that for him. He had to eat all the junk stuff that she fed him when she got home from work. You know, throwing food together. I had to get him and cook for him. I had to take care of him. So this is what I had in mind to do. I was going to marry him and take care of him. I didn't tell him that. You don't tell him that because God only knows what he would do if he told him. You know. He just told me things like, you know, uh, don't ever worry about me drinking because I will never drink. And um, I said, I don't care. What's the big deal about drinking? Um, I told you my father, he didn't hug me. He didn't tell me he loved me. He wasn't affectionate. But when my father drank, he did those things. He danced with me. He told me he loved me. I was the best dancer around. I had long legs. I could follow him better than anybody. So when someone drinks, that's what I thought that meant. That they would love me more. And so I said, I didn't care. He said, well, I'm not going to do it anyway, whether you care or not. I saw what he did to my mother, and it's not going to happen to you. I won't drink. I said, good. So we get married. And, um, of course, it's going to be my marriage, and I'm going to do everything. So it's my responsibility to take care of everything. And if there was things that needed fixed, I had to fix them. And, you know, so we get on here, and 14 months later, I found out that I didn't want him to drink. And, um, you know, he, he's a plumber, but he also played the drums. So I had a drummer plumber. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, so he was getting ready to go out and um, party that night. We didn't have any jobs to do. We were just going to party. 
And I was on his white shirt. And he just took a shot. And he was standing there, and he didn't have any clothes on from the waist up. And um, Debbie's crying in the crib, and I'm ironing his shirt. Now it's July, and my hair's hanging down, and I'm hot, and I am not happy with him. And he's saying, hurry it up, I want out of here. I can't stand it here. That they crying, and all you do fight with me. I'm, I want out. Get that shirt done. You know, and I decided at that moment he wasn't going out. So I told him, you're not going anywhere. And he said, yes, I am. I'm going out. Get that shirt on. So I politely took the iron out of the wall and took him to the closest corner that I could. And I singed the hairs on his chest. And I just stood there. And all he did was go like this and say, I'm not going out tonight. <laughs> and I had an answer. All I had to do was keep a hot iron plugged in, and when he wanted out the door, give it to him, and he wouldn't go out, see? But I had a little baby, so I couldn't do that. You can't leave an iron plugged in with a baby. That's a dangerous thing. So I had to think of other ways and other things to stop him from being the person he was. He wasn't this person when I married him, and it was kind of, I didn't understand, why is he turning into this? You know, and I would tell him not to do something, that's when he would do it. You know, he loved me? No, 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 I don't think so. If he loved me, he wouldn't do that. And he did it anyway. So I had to stop him from drinking somehow, and I had some of these, I I did some plans here, I did a lot of thinking. That was my downfall, thinking. But I didn't have much time for anything else but to think of ways to do something about him. Because there was nothing wrong with me. It was just him. And so let's do something. I had discovered one time that we were going out together. And you don't go out with him to a party because you will be embarrassed. There's no doubt about it. And so when I would be going out with him, I, I was freaky because, you see, if he was in the room over there and I was in the room over here, I would have to listen to what he was saying over there in case I needed to run over there and make corrections. Because he didn't know what to say. He didn't know how to act. And so I would run in that room and I would proceed to tell these people what he really meant by what he said. And he would say, no, I didn't. You know, and I'd say, you just be quiet. This is what he meant, you know. And it didn't dawn on me until I was in Illinois that I was explaining to other drunks what he said. They couldn't care that. They just wondered why I was jumping all around the room, you know, just leave so we can drink, you know. And this is the kind of stuff I had to do when we went out together, so it was a hard job. And I, you know. But the one time we went out, we get in the door, and always the first thing they would say, Jack, you want a beer? Oh, yeah, two. And he would get two. And so this night, he said, oh, no, thanks. He said, you know, she fed me spaghetti for dinner, and I can't drink. Well, you know what? This light bulb went off on my head. (laughs) That's it. Anytime we're going out together, it's going to be spaghetti for dinner. And I'm going to stop him as much as I can. So that when we go out, then I wouldn't have as big of a problem, because it would take a while for that to wear off before he could start drinking, and I'd have a chance you know, to have a little bit of talking before he started acting up. Because you know, then my dog started, you know. So I gave, I bet you I cooked spaghetti three times a week for years. <laughs> yeah, he loved it. Oh, I learned to like it. I love it no matter. His grandmother told me that a good idea, she said, was to feed him some grease before he went out. She said, if you feed him some grease and coat his stomach, then it will hit him as fast. I said, Nana, what am I, how, how am I going to feed him free? Give him a stick of margarine? What am I going to tell him? Eat this? He's not going to eat that. So that's not a very good idea. You know, need a better idea. So I, I was getting um, worn down and getting to the end of my rope, so to speak. And every time I'd get to the end of my rope, I'd call my mother-in-law in Chicago. And I'd tell her what he was doing, what he was saying, what are you going to do about it? And she would come out. 
she worked on the railroad, so she get a seat there on the train tomorrow. Talk to him three days. He'll be good. And then he'd do that again. At the end of my rope, I'd call my mother-in-law. This is what he did. When are you coming? Okay. And she'd be out. So we did this. We played this game for a few years. And finally, one day, she said, you know what? I'm not coming out because I think that you and I just have to accept the fact we're both married to drinking men and live with it. Oh, I said, you've got to be kidding me. That is the stupidest thing I ever heard in my life. Now, I know she was married to a drinking man, too. I, I just, the only reason I told her is because this was a big secret. I didn't tell anybody anything about him or my life. Because when I fixed him and then he was okay, then the influence liked him if I told him how rotten he was, see? So I'm going to fix them first. And that's what Jerry was talking about, those secrets. I had those secrets, like, in my head. And they made me sick until I came to Eleanor and I was able to get rid of those secrets. I, I didn't get anywhere. But I didn't tell anybody, but I did tell his mother because his mother would love him no matter what he did, right? You know, you love your kids no matter what. So I was safe with her. She'll like them now and she'll like them later. It's me she might not like, you know. But at that point, I didn't care. So I had to get up. I had to give up on her. You know, let her, I had to release her and get her out of my hair because she wasn't of any help. Who else could I go to for help? And why do you drink like that, Dad? Yeah. So that's what I did. I told him, we got to sit down and have a talk. And I want, you know, want to know what's going on here. And so we sat down, and it, while he's having his beer, you see, you'll do anything as long as he can have his beer too. So let's have a talk. Here's your beer. And and I said to him, I said, Jack, could you tell me why you drink? And he said, You want to know? And it didn't dawn on me until I was in Illinois, and you know, that I was starting to get a clearer head. What he was doing, he was delaying giving me an answer because he was thinking up a good one, you know. Do you really want to know? Yes, I do. Why do you drink like that? Well, I'll tell you what. When I come home from work, sometimes you have rollers in your hair. And rollers make me drunk. <laughs> so, I believe them. So now we have to get a standing appointment at the beauty shop and get our hair done every week trying to get a hairdo that's going to make him quit drinking. I ran out of money and it wasn't working. And I, and you see, while I was busy paying attention to my own life here, I wasn't looking at him and he was still drinking and carrying on. But, you know, if I get this hair fixed the right way, he will quit. So that's why I, I tried that. That didn't, it didn't work, of course. That wasn't the problem. So back to the drawing board, Jack. Let's find out what we can do here. He said nothing. Unless you can fix it, nothing can be done. That's really a hopeless place to be because I was trying as hard as I could and nothing was working. So I told him, I said, well, you know what? Why don't we make some plans here for um, a divorce assessment? Because uh, I said, when we're married 13 years, that's an unlucky number and we're two unlucky people. So let's party on and get out of it. Yeah, he said, okay. I said, yeah, you can do your thing and I'll do mine. You know, well, what I told him is you can drink, you can play drums, and have a party. And I thought, I didn't know until I came in Illinois. I didn't have a thing to do. My thing was watching him drink and tell him he's drinking too much. So that, you know, and besides that, by the time that came, we didn't have any money in the house, so we didn't have the party. So, I told him the real important thing is that he had, I said, you know what, Jack, I really can't fix it, I can't take it, so you have to die. <laughs> and he was in complete agreement with me. He said, I want to die because I don't like this change, but how are we going to do it? 
And I said, oh no, I'm not doing it. You think I'm going to jail? I'm not. And, um, and he reminds me now if I'd have killed him when I wanted to, I'd be out, I'd be out of jail by now. <laughs> so he told me he didn't want to do it either because he was afraid that he wouldn't do it. And then I would have controlled him in a wheelchair for the rest of his life. <laughs> and I didn't think that sounded too bad. Because I wanted control. Someone had to take control of his life. No one else wanted to. And no one else cared. So it had to be me. So I didn't think that would be too bad of a thing. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, I had this little girl growing up here. I'm not telling anybody else. So she's my ally. She's the only one that I talk to. I remember talking to Debbie, and I, I didn't let her outside to play a lot in the summertime. I closed my drapes and my windows, and I didn't want to answer the phone. I didn't want her outside, because I was afraid if she went out, I might have to go out there and get her. And then they'll ask me a question about him. Where is he? What's he doing? I haven't seen his car. And then I would have to go into a whole bunch of lies and stories and, you know, tell them, well, you know what, he works overtime a lot, and then he calls and says, I'm sorry, I can't come home, I want to stay at a hotel or I close to work because it's easier. I mean, I just went into all kinds of things, and they all knew that he drank more because of my actions than his. I remember he came home one night and parked on the neighbor's head. And, and I went out there, now instead of going out there after he came in and passed that, instead of going out there and just moving the car, no, no, I have to go next door and knock on their door and make them aware that he's parked on the hedges and tell them why he's parked on the hedges. And he asked me if I would please move the car for him because he's so exhausted. He needs sleep after working 16 hours straight and oh, on and on and on. But you see, I had to do this because these people that lived right next door to us, their last name was Walton. You know, it's like Walton's Mountain, you know. And so they had... You know, three children, and they had a dog, and he came home for dinner every night, and they'd go out for a ride after, and they would go get a dairy queen, and they were just wonderful, you know, and I hated them. I hated them. We're friends with them today, but I hated them then. And when that, and this Mr. Walton wanted to sell his house, and the only way he could sell his house is if he fixed our hedges. So he fixed our hedges and he cut our grass and he kept our house looking really nice so he sold his and moved. And meanwhile, Jack sent him a birthday card. I said to my garden, happy birthday. There was a lot of reasons why I didn't like it. So he's not dying. He told me that he thought maybe because of the way he acted, the way he drank, he might go over the hill sometime and kill himself in a car, and I would get double indemnity, and I liked that idea. <laughs> so I went upstairs, and I got the policies out, and I'm looking to see what I would get. Well, one thing I would get would be that house, and I hated that house. I didn't even want to live there. It was one of those big old houses. It was three stories high. It had wall-to-wall water bugs in it. And I, I had a baby that, now I have another baby, and I put her in a playpen so that I could put some blue powder around the carpets to kill the water bugs. And so after they were kind of dead and gone, I would pick the powder up with a sweeper, and then I'd take the baby, and she could play outside now, and then the bugs would come back, and I jumped back and forth with her for years. This was the house that I was happy to get, and I didn't even want in it. I was getting that car that he had that the windshield wipers don't work on the driver's side, you know, and the car doors don't open because they're rope shuts and, you know, and the headlights and the bumpers are banging and hanging and the tires are four different sizes on the car. And this is the car that I had to, you know, when I could get it. I usually would go to the bar and steal it so that I could go to the store and get groceries, you know, and I'd steal the car. And now, he taught me how to start this car. You didn't start this car, he. 
what you did is you lifted up the hood, and and I took a match book and I put a penny in it, and I went under there and I touched something. I don't know what it was. I just touched it in the car started. <laughs> I put the hood on, jump in the car, and go shopping. You know. I can't tell you how many men I ran into that said, "Could I help you?" And I said, "No, that's okay." And I go, and the car would start. You know. You know, and that didn't surprise me. I mean, I just needed my car started, and I could do it. You know. I pulled in the gas station with it one day. It was making so much noise, and I got out. Well, here the tailpipe was dragging. And I said to the kid in the gas station, do I need that for the car to run? And he said, well, no. So I pulled it off and I threw it in the trunk of the car and I went shopping, you know. I thought everybody lived like this, you know, because most of my neighbors did because that's the kind of neighborhood I lived in, you know. So we were all like that. So here, that's what, that's the way I lived. I hid in the house. I didn't tell anybody and I was frightened and I only talked to my Debbie now. Now, Debbie, when she was 10 years old, I would talk to her about getting a divorce. And I would ask her, her opinion of that. And she told me, uh, Mom, I think we should get a divorce because I don't like Daddy anymore. I don't like living here anymore. And I said, fine, we're going to do that tomorrow. And a couple hours later, I would take her crying and say, now what? And she'd tell me, you know what, Mama, I think Daddy's sick and I don't want to leave her. And I don't know where she got that from. Um, using that word sick. And I said to her, well, fine. Then we won't do it. You know what? It's on your head. We won't get a divorce. We'll just live with it. So, and, <clears throat> and that's the way I was with her. I would get her up for school in the morning and I would point the beer bottles out on the kitchen thing. And I would say, there, he drank five. And then I poured water in his ear to wake him up so he could go to work. And um, and I only, I only did that water thing because he told me the night before, if you don't wake me up for work tomorrow, I'll kill you. Because, you see, the boss said, if I don't get there, I'm fired. I don't care how you do it, but you better get me up. And I'll tell you what, folks, if you pour live water in someone's ear, they get up. Quick. So I woke him up for work. And um, so I told her, I said, now you're, I don't, I sent him to work, but I don't know if he went to work. I don't know where he is or what he's doing. But what I want from you is I want you to go to school and I want you to make good grades. Either way. And that's the way I lived and that's what I did. I remember also um, when, oh yeah, I will remember tonight, turn o'clock. But I never turned my clocks ahead or back, ever, because time meant nothing to me. I was in that house. There I was, in the house. And um, so I never changed it. So I sent her to school for an hour early. And the janitor, and I didn't even know until she came home from school and told me that. She was in downstairs with the janitor, and he gave her milk and a donut until school started. And I didn't think much of it, you know, because I didn't want to hear it, I guess. I didn't want to hear that. You're okay, right? All right, let's just, you know, forget that. Don't tell anybody, you know. And that's the kind of stuff that happened in my life because I couldn't do anything. I loved something and watching music. And I, I would get up in the morning and I would turn my radio on and I would cry all day with it. Um, please release me. And I just cry. I wanted him to let go of me so bad. I couldn't. Oh my God, please. He just wouldn't. He told me, you can't get a divorce from me because I'll, if you get married again, I'll follow you and I'll sleep between you and your new husband. So don't try it. So I can't get a divorce. I can't kill him. He won't kill himself. I don't, it's really hard, you know, trying to, trying to get stuff together here. And, um, and then this one song, I, I don't know if anybody in here is old enough to remember that or not, but it was a song called from the bottle to the bottom, sitting by store. And oh my God, did I cry. Because I, he was going there, and I couldn't get off. I, I didn't know what to do. I was going with him. And there was nothing that I had left to do anymore, except I, you know, I decided that a good thing, that if he's not going to die, maybe that's what I should do. 
I believe that Jack and I are both alive today because when I was real nuts, he knew to back off. And vice versa, when he was nuts, I backed off. Because I can remember one time when he had me like this up in the air and the second floor and I was going through the picture window and I said, go ahead. And because I said, go ahead, he put me down. <laughs> and he said to me, you know what, if I have to go through this life, you're going to go through it with me. There's no easy option for you either, babe. There you are. But I also believe, too, that he bought me a gun one time to protect me. And the first time I almost shot him, he got rid of the gun. But I used to lay in bed at night with that gun, like, on my chest, loaded. Because I lived in a neighborhood where you could look through the window and the fire escapes were showing through, and it was they were calling these drunken people all night, and there was... So I slept with his gun on my chest, and then when I almost hit him with it, he got rid of it. But it's a good thing that I didn't have a loaded gun in my hand a lot of those times, because I'm afraid when I was crazy that I would have done that. I know, I would have done that, so I'm really grateful I didn't have that. I think, like Gary was talking about all the secrets, I think that's what happened to me, and I think that's when I reached my bottom because I couldn't put any more secrets in there anymore, and I was done. I was absolutely done. And that was the very first time that I left. I had never left. I had threatened to leave, but I had never left, and that's when I left. And I started to do something for me and my daughter. I didn't know what that was going to be because, you see, I had taken all my eggs and put them in his basket. But because when we got married in the 50s, that was the name of the game. You got married and you stayed home and you took care of the children and you were a good wife. And that's what I did. So there I was. So I left for the first time. And I came back probably about a month and a half later. There's a lot of things that happened in between, but I was gone and Jack called me. Um, no, he didn't call me. A man who was in AA called me first. And as soon as I heard his voice, I started to cry because I thought, oh my God, Jack's an alcoholic. I didn't think he was anything. I thought he was just an SOB. <laughs> You know, and when the word, when the name alcoholic was added there, it sounded, oh my God, maybe there is some kind of hope. Maybe there is. So he did what he had to do and um, asked me to bring the girls and come back home so we come back home. And I could tell when he came home from AA meetings, I could tell that his eyes were shining and they looked different than any other time. And you've seen those eyes and you know what I mean. I was so thrilled. This was just going to be absolutely wonderful. And I was so excited, probably for about two months. And then it dawned on me. He's doing the same things now that he was doing when he was drinking. Except when he was drinking, he worked three jobs so that he had a lot of money. Now he's working one job. And we don't have enough money. And he wants to know now, what are you doing with my money? And so, they see, they told him, I went to SMA Indians with him, see, and they said to him, Jack, you have to, you have to do easy, does it? I said, wait a minute, don't tell him that. You tell him easy, does it? He needs to work, he needs to make more money. Well, you know what? He'd come home from his one job, he'd eat dinner, lay on the couch, and relax, and easy does it, so it's time to take a shower, stay in the diner, and drink coffee till three in the morning. I'm still at home, I'm still with the girls by myself, I, same old thing, watching TV. So, I get to go to this one AA meeting, and um, they sent me down the hall to an AA meeting, and I assumed that if you were married to an alcoholic, you automatically went there. That's where you belong, you go there. And so I went, and because I already had gone to some AA meetings, I knew when they read those steps and the traditions that you read at an AA meeting, I knew they were wrong. 
because I didn't drink and neither did they. And they were sitting here doing what you did. And so I said, you know, um, we don't drink in here, right? No. Well, I said, all right. So I just left them alone and I left them go ahead and read that. And it was a wonderful program, though. I, I thought it was really good. I had a friend who came in four months after I did, and her husband wasn't an alcoholic because she told her that, because she believed them. And um, so since this uh, program was so good and wonderful for those who needed it, we started the, we started meetings. We went all over the area. We must have started about seven meetings, and they're all still there. So that's okay. They're not. <laughs> so that's what I did. I got involved in doing things like that. They told me, I went to this meeting and it was on resentment, and I thought, oh, how boring. I don't have any resentment, you know? And um, they went around the room, and I had all of them, and I had some more left that I could have told them about, but I didn't, because I didn't want them to know about me, you know? Because, you see, I went, I went to a meeting, and this one little girl told me, she said, you know what, honey? You don't belong here because um, that's not wrong to you. And I said, yes, there is. And then I went down the hall to Ellen, and they said, you know, there's something wrong with you. And I said, there's a different. <laughs> so I wanted to be sick in the right place. I don't want to be sick in Ellen, because then they want you to do something about it. If you're in AA and you're sick, they don't care. You know. <laughs> you still listen to her back, you know. Divorcer. Oh, that's heavy. You know, oh, yeah. So, so I go to this meeting on detachment, and I said, you know what, get a dictionary out, that's a big word, let's talk about that, you know. And uh, the end result was, well, you know what, that kind of like means mind your own business. Oh, well, I need a little help here, people, because everything's my business. And I had to sort out what was and what wasn't, because I assumed everything was my responsibility and my business. I had to go to meetings to find out what was and what wasn't. They told me, you know, and he had that, he had an accident and he came home and he told me where he had the accident and he told me that it wasn't his fault. So he said, now you call the insurance man and you tell him where it was and what happened and I didn't do it. It's not my fault. And he went sick. Now see, that was not my responsibility. But I did those things because he said I had to as part of being a wife, you know. So everything was my business. All decisions that were made in the house were mine. So when anything in the house went wrong, it was always my fault. I didn't find that out talking in the Illinois. Stop making all the decisions. And then you won't always be wrong. You know what? That was really nice. That was really nice not to make them and let him make one. Remember the first one I left him make is we bought a house. By the way, he's sober four months and we moved. Because his eyes came open and he looked around his house and he said, Oh my God, we gotta get out of here. <laughs> Four months we were out of there. That's all it took. Oh. So, anyway, that's what I'm doing is going to these meetings because I, I, I need them to help me. I need them to help me. I don't. In the first year, uh, his sobriety was the roughest year of my life. Rough. Because he's trying to change and so am I. I don't know him anymore. He don't know me anymore. And then I get my daughter into Alpine because you know what folks? He needed help so bad. And I don't know the answer to anything except the program. I don't care what's wrong with you. You gotta go to a meeting. Take you to a meeting. I got her into Alpine. Now she don't know her parents because now we're trying to do the right thing. Alright? So we were all screwed up, and it was really bad. And every night at dinner, we tried to eat. We could not eat, because the food just, like, never went on. I didn't eat. I didn't sleep. I didn't do all those things. I didn't function well at all. So now, every night, we're still fighting at the dinner table. And about one night, this was wonderful. This was wonderful. Because I was talking to both of my girls, and we were laughing and having a nice time, and in the background, somebody's fork keeps hitting the plate, you know, and it's, wow, and it's just, finally we turned around and looked at him and said, what's the matter? He said, you know what, I've been in a bad mood for three days here and nobody has noticed. <laughs> I was 
so excited. I bit my lip and I left the table and I ran down the hall and went to the bathroom and looked in the mirror and went, yes, I did it. I detached and didn't even know I did it, you know? So I couldn't wait to go back to the meeting and tell them what happened and I did this and oh my God, give me more. And, and they gave me more. Because one of the other things that he said to me was, you know what? I'm going to tell you something. If you fight with me anymore, I'm going to go. I thought, oh God, you know that I'm going to throw up. I, I think, oh God, if he drinks again, you know? So, I was really scared, so I didn't say anything. Go to a meeting, you know? Get up, go to a meeting. So I told them. They told me what I had to do. They said, you have to go back home, and the next time he says that, you have to tell him, there's the door. Don't let it hit you in the ass on the way out. If you want to drink, go drink. And I said, you've got to be kidding. If you had one little inkling of what he does when he drinks, you would never tell him to drink. Never. And I said, well, what did you do before? And I told him how I went like this on the door and how he threw me over real macho and got drunk. So they said, well, you know what? You can either do that or you could do this. You know, you have, what do you want to do? The next day, guess what? Here we are, dinner, fighting, once more. You fight with me, I'm going to get drunk, you that. Oh, God, here it comes. I can't say it. I'm going to cheat. I can't. Oh, my. Oh. And I, I, I finally said it. Now, I wasn't real smart either. I just said, Dad, the door over there. Don't let it get me out on the way out. But if you want to drink, you go drink. And he just stopped dead. And he walked over to me, and he looked right at me, and his eyes got big like soccer. And he said, nobody can make me drink if I don't want to drink. <laughs> so, when you get stuff like that from Eleanor, you go back for more. You go back for more. And that's what I did. Eleanor taught me to sleep all night. It taught me to eat. The food went down. It taught me to fake it till you make it. Because after... Um, in the program a little bit, Jack drank, and um, my oldest daughter, Debbie, is the one that really went through the pain of me pushing off, and she came home from school, and I had to tell her, and I was panicking. I was petrified, because this little girl I knew wouldn't take it well, and I, I had to tell her her dad was thinking, and I had to tell her calmly, like, I, well, I'm not upset about this, honey, your dad's thinking. And she just ran across the room and threw herself up against the wall, slid down the wall, screaming and crying and said, what are we going to do, Mom? I said, we're going to have dinner. And she said, you got to be kidding. And I went over and I sat down at the table. I had it set. My youngest daughter across from me and I said, come on, Jackie. And we're sitting there talking and eating. And Debbie was watching her. And eventually she got up and she walked around and she took her seat and she ate. Eleanor goes up me. So that I could get back ahead. Those are the kind of things that were happening for me that I, I really wasn't doing anything. I was going to meetings and it was happening to me. And it just was wonderful. And I just kept going back for more. You know, whenever Jack was drinking, I, I thought that the only problem that we had was just drinking. That's all I had. You know, I just got fixed and it's going to be okay. But he was only in the program two months. When we had a murder-suicide in my, my family, my little cousin was 21, and her husband shot and killed her, and then he turned the gun on himself. Now, you know, this, this is more alcoholism. Um, she had been separated from him. He didn't want to live with her because they had a two-year-old baby, and he wanted to wait till the baby grew up because he didn't want fingerprints on his table in his living room. And meanwhile, he had two big, great game dogs in the house. So there's your alcoholic. But that's safe. And I said to her, honey, I said, you know, aren't you going to divorce him? Because, my goodness, you're young sitting around waiting for, you know, this to happen. And she said, oh, Janet, I can't do that because if he ever seen on the paper, he can't. And, um, I pooed that away. I didn't think much of it. And I, you know. And, uh, about six months later, she put it in the paper and he killed her. And so, you know what, I don't take that lightly anymore when someone says that. 
I just don't because you never know. I don't care which side of this program you're on. It's like it's, it's, it's a life and death thing. It doesn't make any difference. I know that her husband lived before I was in the operating room, so that he, they asked him why he did it. And he said, I did it because I can't live with her and I can't live without her. Um, those kind of things, um, I went through that. Um, it wasn't easy. Um, but you know what? With, with the program, you can do anything. And I, and I was able to do it because I just kept going back to me. No matter what happened to me in my life, no matter what, I ran to a meeting. Um, my Debbie wanted to quit school four months before graduation to get married. And I ran to a meeting. And I told my sponsor. She said, well, she told me if I didn't sign for her, she'd run away. She said, then you have a choice. What do you want to do? And I signed for her to get married. They were married 26 years, so they, they did okay. Um, but meanwhile, um, I ended up with some, about uh, cancer myself. I had, uh, had to have a mastectomy. And um, the reason I bring that up is I had, um, had an Illinois girl with me in the room. Um, and at that time I smoked. So I was sitting there smoking. And I said, oh my God, I got cancer and I'm doing this method. And she said, that's right, you got cancer, so when I smoke. So I smoke. But that's 20 years ago. So I just like to tell people, I am a survivor, and it's 20 years ago. And I think that's very important for other people that have the same thing to know that. Um, and that happened to Jack, too, because we were only in our you know, mid-40s, so... That was a problem that both of us had to work on, not just me. And we did it, because he went to meetings and so did I. Because meetings is the answer for everything in my life, and that's everything. Um, my mother called me one day, and she told me that my Debbie, who got married earlier here, um, was depressed, there was something wrong with her, she went to get off the couch, and Okay, so I went up there and started taking the couch and said, get up, i got to take you to a meeting. I don't know what else to do, because she quit our team and didn't go to Illinois, and she got married. The end result was, I, I did get her, I got one of my patients to go with me, and we got Debbie, and we took her to a meeting, and she was going to meetings for two weeks, and she just kept getting sicker and sicker, and it turned out that Debbie had leukemia, not, it wasn't depression. Um... And I, I need to bring this up too because I got, um, at that time that that happened, my mother was drinking and my son-in-law was using and my grandchildren were four and eight and um, I thought I would lose my mind and never be able to start this again. But I, but I got the meeting. I got my meetings and I got the program. Debbie um, lost her hair, her sight. Skin. I mean, this little girl died before they brought her back. And um, they told me in the hospital that I I had to go call somebody right away because Debbie needed, if she needed white blood cells, it would be an immediate thing, so go find people right away. I went home, I called one person in AA, I called one person in Illinois and ran back to the hospital. And two days later, the blood bank called me and asked me to please stop sending people down. <laughs> and to give blood for Debbie. They said, we've never had so many people come here, please quit. And you know what? It's not like just going down and giving blood. It was they had to go get pills to take nine days to clean their blood first. And they were all willing to go get that. And I have a couple of them still in my life today. And I just love every inch of them when I look at them. Debbie didn't need their blood, but they were all ready to do it. And that was what was important. So that's another another case where, you know what, the program was there. Um, now, my youngest daughter, she was different. Um, she liked school. She was going to stay in school. And she was going to keep going to school. And she said when she was in high school, I... You know, she was going to go to college. I said, oh, no, no, no. I, I, I couldn't fathom that because I was a big tease. I graduated, graduated from high school. Nobody went to college in my family before. And she's going to do this. 
So I put my waitress legs on and I went out there to help her. And so she's just ready to graduate and she decides she's going to go for her master's. And I said, Jackie, you know what, honey? My legs are tired. I don't know that I could, you know, and she said, Mom, I'll take care of it. And she did. She won a scholarship and a fellowship and went to St. Louis to Washington University. And she got her degree in music theory. And she plays the piano and teaches. And um, we just, like, educated her right out of our lives. I mean, you know. But, um, yeah, so one didn't want to go and the other one just we couldn't get her out. Um, they sent, and the reason I bring up about Jackie is because they sent me a certificate in the mail. Well, him too. I'll, I'll include him. <laughs> and it says it's to the scholarship family, and what a what wonderful parents we are. And if every child in this whole world had had parents like us, what a wonderful world this would be. <laughs> ah! <laughs> If they only knew, huh? <laughs> and that's in my living room, and it's there, and it'll never go away. It stays right there, you know. But we took Jackie away to school, and that was like the empty next thing. And, oh, man, it hurts really bad. But at that time, Jack lost his job. So he was doing the same thing I was. So it was good because we could, like, you know, support each other and understand our feelings. So that was good. But he had to start, he started his own business then. And um, I take care of the office. And all those years I stayed up waiting for him to come home. So I could say, you know what, you're drunk again. You know, you're drunk again. You're drunk again. Because I was, I thought if he heard it enough, then he would say, because I would. Yeah. My God, you're right. I'm going to quit that. And I thought I needed to keep telling him because no one else will. And he never quit. But you know what? Now, he's the plumber. He's out there. I'm in the office. I got the phone, I get the call, now I can get him any time I want to, anywhere he is, and I also tell him what to do. <laughs> and that's just, <laughs> so you have to be careful what you pray for, because you might just get it someday. So, but we do, we have a, we have a nice family here today. Now, now, we're back to loving each other. Because, and I remember when I was here, my, my sponsor said to me, you know what, if you look, if you stand in the middle of a railroad track and you look down there, it's going to come together. But it's not going to come together if you don't stay on your own side. You have to stay on your own rail and let it go. And so I did that. I did that. And so did he. And it did come together. Okay? It did come together. But that doesn't mean that we're always together, because, you know, like you said, we can take time off for fighting. You know, that's important. You know, you have to tell each other how you feel, so, and, um, and we do that. You know, so we learn how to fight. You have to know how to fight. You know, we have to learn, if we're going to fight about this glass, then we're going to fight about this glass. We can't fight about what your mother didn't do for me 20 years ago. You know? So that's how to fight. Just on this, stay on this glass. If you, and it's hard. <laughs> if you ever try to start a fight on one thing and stay, it's hard. It takes practice. It takes practice. But you now we're getting it done pretty good. We went on. We went on to the video store and we were picking out a movie. And the little girl working there, she said, "Oh, you can remind me of my grandparents. We call them Mr. and Mrs. Vickers." <laughs> oh Lord. Oh, but that's okay. You can call it that. You know, you know the, the difference between um, the, what AA thinks and what Eleanor people think is I have a lot of friends on through email here now. I met all over and I you know, send out to them. And um, I, I had an opportunity to go to a real nice place, the Bahamas. Oh, God. If heaven's like that, I'm ready. I'm just wonderful. I, I could not believe this. I could not believe this. And so I told all, all my friends on, you know, on my email people that I know in the program, and um, I get responses. No, the alcoholic he sends back and he says, you know, I'm so sorry. I don't know why you're so surprised. I told you 
if you live with an alcoholic long enough, you know, wonderful things happen to you, and, you know, and it's just, oh, yes, you know. And and then I get a response from the Al-Anon person. <laughs> he said, yeah, all you had to do was live with a live drunk for many years, practically go nuts, get into a recovery program and have him in your way all the time from working it, he's a cake. That was the two different responses. And I sat there at the computer and I laughed because um, I get that all the time. Um, I think I've told you enough and I think that I'm ready to sit down and uh, now I now I can tell you I'm not nervous anymore. <laughs> Real nervous when I started. But my sponsor told me that if you're not nervous, you better check yourself because you think you know everything. And so I know I don't know everything because before I can stand up here, I can hardly stand up. So um, I want to thank you very much. I want to thank you for having Jack and I come here. Um, I only want to make one correction about what Jack said. That's all. I shouldn't not say anything, but this one won't hurt, right? Um, when he opened up, he said, I'd like to thank you for having me come down here. I brought her with me. Ah, I think I brought him. I brought my wife with me. You know, I think they probably... <laughs> I don't know if he heard that part about you've got to get out of yourself, you know. Um, but I, I really appreciate you sitting here listening to me, and um, I hope those of you who have never, never been to an Illinois meeting before, I hope that you're okay. <laughs> and if you're not, you, you could tell me later, not now. Okay. So thank you very much. <laughs>